Welcome back to Tech Vets, the podcast, and we are speaking to Ben Chaucer from X-Mill Recruitment. How are you, Ben? Oh, I'm absolutely awesome, thank you. How, how about yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. And I love your T-shirt. I, I'm a massive geek, so I thought I would represent. <laughs> it's quite funny that sometimes when I got involved in recruitment, particularly IT recruitment, you would see like non-geeky people and in the industry really started to move so more and more people would turn up in marvel t-shirts talk about gaming at the weekend i think that is what it recruitment is very much now like so yeah i thought i'd uh, show off my love for marvel so just for the listeners describe describe your t-shirt so it is a, a, a comic book marvel t-shirt with um different pictures from various comics over the last 50 years uh, wrapped around the t-shirt basically it's it is absolutely fantastic and talking about superheroes working with ex-military how did you get into working in ex-military recruitment <clears throat> I was quite lucky in some ways so my dad had a recruitment agency when I was very young <clears throat> and at one point they had an ex-military team that was all run by veterans so I managed to do some work experience there really enjoyed it, was deciding what I wanted to do and then went to uni and after uni decided to get into recruitment. And it was really funny, like when you start in recruitment, everyone tells you how hard it is, you need to be resilient, you're going to face lots of rejection. My best friend was EOD in search, so he was out in Afghan. I thought my job's really easy <laughs> compared to what you're doing. And so as a result of having friends serve, family serve, I was all and equally like working for a veteran agency when I was very young. I've always had um, a penchant uh, to work with veterans. I've always enjoyed it. I've always represented it in any place that I worked. I see the real positive attributes of people that serve. I love it. Absolutely love it. Did you ever think about joining the forces yourself? 100%. So I don't really talk about it that much. It's like, well, if someone told me they thought about being a recruiter when they were very younger, it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, I did. It was why I ended up working for my dad's agency, because he wanted me to understand more about the military. I think from the age of 14 to about 20, I was really, really considering it. What made you decide to follow the family business? So I think it's quite funny, actually, I, I never worked for my dad. So although I went into recruitment, I decided, I told him specifically that I would never work for him in his business. So I went and did my own thing. Um, but I realised at one point during university that I wanted a career that could be lucrative and I was sold the dream with recruitment. So I thought I would go into that. And I also learned firsthand from seeing successful recruiters that you can do very well while still being very ethical. It's what I liked about the industry. It's really an interesting point that you make because I think there's quite a lot of talk in the industry about recruiters being unethical and promising the world and promising the world both to employers and to candidates and failing to deliver. What's your experience of it? Oh, 100%. I've worked with, uh, so throughout most of my career, I've worked with bigger agencies, smaller agencies and agencies like Exmo, which I get to, to manage. And I've seen a full range of people. I've seen people that were extremely unethical. I've seen 
people outright lie to candidates or do all sorts of things. I think the marketplace has definitely shifted over the last 10 years. So back in the like 2009, 10, 11, 12, when I was started, you probably saw 50% of people act in really unethical ways. Whereas I think with the rise of social media, people can't get away with stuff like, like they used to. So the industry did become more ethical. But still, you, you do see things that, that make me cringe on quite a regular basis. It's why I'm really glad that I work in an environment where all of the team are driven by high standards. And most of that is to do with most of my team served. So I think there is a big correlation between people that served and the level of standards that are in that organisation. How did you come to meet the people that are ex-services who now work with you? Um, range of reasons. It's quite funny, actually. One, one of the consultants that now works with me, he served in the Marines for 22 years, was decided to relocate uh, overseas with his family after leaving service. And he was speaking to me about overseas contracting, about what well, I can pick up a gig, do six months in Africa, the Middle East, and then go home for six months. And I said, well, you can work for me remotely if you want that. <laughs> Do you want to have a conversation about that? And I think this is the thing. Throughout the interview process, he was someone that I was thinking about representing to one of my overseas clients. I realised that he was the type of person that I'd love to have within the team. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it can happen as organically as that. Obviously, we, the founder of Exmil, where he served for 10 years, and then Exmil have been established since 2005, where we have very open and honest conversations with candidates, sometimes we will see something that maybe they haven't thought about that we have, including working for us. That's really interesting because I think no one probably expects to get in touch with a recruiter and be, be offered a job in recruitment. What was it? Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that you've got quite a lot of ex-mill staff now. What was it about their characters or their experience that, lent themselves to the role of recruitment? I think it's the ability to learn things quickly. And also, and this is where recruitment does have a habit of going wrong. In general, people like me are brought into the industry really young. We're put in a room with 10 or so other similar people and almost showing, okay, here's a way of succeeding, but go and figure it out. So, for example, when I first started to work in warehouse recruitment, I had no real idea about what happened in warehouses. I had to go and learn that. Whereas the fact that I've got someone who understands what it's like to serve, it means it's so much easier for them to speak to candidates. And also because of the diversity of roles that you have during service, where you do a new posting every two years, you learn a new trade or you have to learn things at the drop of a hat, just really lends well to recruitment that ability to understand an industry sometimes from a point where you've already worked in that role and then you're able to give clients better feedback like, it's quite funny i was talking to a client who wanted some rf engineers and i got one of my consultants warren on the call and he said to me what does warren know about rf engineering i said don't be harsh ashley but more than you do he was in the royal signals for 25 years he knows a lot about rf engineering and has worked on equipment that you don't even realize exists so i think as a result of all the commercial experience that veterans and service leavers get it opens up a real range of roles for them whether that's recruitment whether that's often stuff they don't think about 
I th and, and this is probably where I'm going to go into my little high horse of why I love working with veterans. Veterans often don't realise the level of skill or character that's involved in being a veteran. Like when you asked me, did I ever think about it? I did, but I don't talk about it that much because I never did it. I also know that if you thought about joining up and you did, and then you passed basic training and then you served for four years, then 12 years, and then the next time you're on 22 years, you've got a level of commitment and a level of skill that is really valuable to, to different employers. You come from a culture where, okay, here's a 10,000 pound piece of equipment you're going to go into a room, watch someone do a PowerPoint for 30 minutes, and then there you go, there's a £10,000 piece of equipment, figure it out, can't use it. <laughs> and, I think as a, and I think this is the thing, like, Meredith, like, when, when I talk about that type of story, that's something that my friend would have told me early on in his career, I've been, I've been put in here, oh, I've, I now know how to, to make explosives. It's like, wow, that's, that's something that's pretty different, Stan. <laughs> And I think this is the thing, like in the military, because you're around everyone doing the same, you forget that your skills are very, very different and can empower you to have a very positive career versus like my first recruitment role was basically placing into security teams, into NATO contracts, working for my dad and his friends. And I <clears throat> would arrange an interview in some location in the world and the person would be there. And then my, I went to uni, was in warehouse recruitment, and getting someone to actually turn up for work on time was probably the biggest challenge that I had. Not something re you really have when you work with veterans. Why do you think, or how do you help the veterans that you work with to see their value and worth? I think first it's about understanding what it is that they want and how the commercial world has opportunities that's relevant for them. And then secondly, it's often, again, where I've spoke to thousands of, of veterans, I understand that if someone's a senior, senior non-commissioned officer in EAD and search, they're going to be able to add lots of value into anything that relates to risk. So they could go into insurance. If someone is senior within the Royal Signals, they're going to understand a massive range of technologies from radio frequencies all the way to networks. If someone's been in the Royal Marines, then they've literally been in the environment where standards have been up to here for their entire career. And I think it's understanding, for us as a recruiters, understanding the key skills that a veteran's going to have and then saying to them, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? It's why I always prefer to take individuals on that have served or if they haven't served they really understand what individuals that are serving go through when you're working specifically in tech but say you get a well you could get anyone come to you who's ex-military who probably doesn't see themselves as a tech person or someone who could work in tech how do you what skills do you look for and how do you encourage them to realise that they absolutely could get a job in tech. I think it's one of the things, isn't it? Like, as much as people serving kind of banter about equipment that they, they get used to, the reality is the British military is extremely tech-driven, whether it's UAVs, radio equipment, to different levels of weaponry used within the Navy. So people forget that they have probably more of an understanding of wider tech than your average layperson because of 
the equipment that you're using because of the people that you're around. And it's also remembering that there's a lot of roles within tech that aren't necessarily tech roles. So, for example, one of my best friends was a, a salesperson. I saw actually um, Josh at one point from uh, Trident talking about roles in tech sales. Uh, there's such a big area there where you need to be passionate about tech, but no one's going to, pe people might ask me to find a network engineer. No one's going to ask me to build a network for them. And I could, I know what books to read. I might be able to give it a go, but ultimately my role isn't to understand networks, it's to understand what makes a good network engineer and interview someone accordingly. So I think, don't remember that there is such a wide range of roles in tech. And because roles are changing all the time, that sometimes what happened, someone with 20 years experience, that experience could be still out of date quite quickly within a couple of years because of how tech moves. So as a result, there's always new chances to, to get involved in the industry. With service leavers, are you seeing any trends evolve in the HR people that are coming to you asking for specific roles? Do you see a kind of influx of requests coming in on cybersecurity or aspects of tech, or is it all pretty broad? So we, we as an agency, we're very broad. And it often relates to where our consultants go and almost pitch for business. But what, again, I think sometimes service leavers forget, if, if you look at companies that sell tech, one of the biggest markets for selling tech is government and defence. And as a result, it means there's a, a ton of opportunities open for people that they don't realise. So that's an example. Say a company is selling a cybersecurity solution into uh, the MAD. They need people with security clearance. And most people do not have security clearance. And ultimately, if an employer wants to make things as easy as possible, so they'll say, oh, look, I could put someone through security clearance, but I don't know whether they're going to pass, fail. It's going to take three, four, five months for me to get an answer. Or I could take someone who's already got security clearance and that I've already been through that process. They've already passed that process. And I'm therefore going to pick the person with security clearance. I think it's something I personally deal with a lot. So I work with security clearance and develop vetting very frequently. And I think this is the thing, isn't it? Like most people would expect that the highest salary that I would have placed would have been a WA1 or an officer, whereas, whereas in fact, it's a corporal from the Royal Signals who's doing a, a contract role for me on a long-term contract in government, getting paid a lot more money than when he was serving. And that's something I'm really proud of and I love. I love being able to take someone from the military and get them opportunities that they might not have been able to think about or they don't know how to, to get in, involved in that sector. How did that corporal react when he got a job that was paying far more than what he was used to? I mean, he, he was, uh, yeah, <laughs> there was that debate of who, who owes who a drink and the reality is like he and, and this is what, what people forget, right? He's gone into a contract position. So most people will, will sometimes shut the door at contract roles, not realising that there is a lot to be gained within that world. So he was quite open to that. And we were very honest about both the highs and lows of contracting, but effectively he's on a one-year contract getting paid £435 a day when he was a, a corporal in the military four months ago. Wow. That's pretty impressive. And I guess... 
is there potential for that contract to extend beyond a year? A hundred percent. Meredith, one of my friends has been contracting for Fujitsu, so he was ex-Royal Signals. He's been in the contract role for Fujitsu on the same day rate for the last eight years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And and these things happen quite a lot within the the defence ecosystem. Talking about contracts is something that we actually haven't talked about much before because many people, when they sign off, They're looking for stability for their family. They're looking for, you know, they have that fear because they're so used to having a um, consistent wage at the end of every month. So probably to a lot of service leavers, if you said, you know, contract work, they'd probably be really nervous, quite understandably nervous about taking it straight off the bat. But um, what would you say to a service leaver who was kind of anti-contract work initially? I think it's the thing, it's showing people the opportunity. So next year we were talking about internally running a a monthly webinar about it or bi-monthly webinar because contracting can be a tough world. There are lots of risks attached to contracting. There's also lots of upsides. So at the moment I've got a contract role at the moment that would be suitable for someone coming from uh, the signals who has a core understanding of RF. They would earn sixty thousand pounds in six months. I could. <laughs> so, so there are these things out there, and I think it's also understanding. And this is me being quite honest. Most people have two, maybe three roles in their first five years since leaving the military. So that's something I've seen quite a lot, where they will go into a big consultancy, maybe realise that they no longer wanted to work into. A a big organization and then move to a smaller one so i see a lot of veterans change jobs in their first two to three years post-military service because they're looking for something that was maybe more similar to the military than they realized or less similar to the military than they realized so the way i see it is contracting is a great way to do something that's going to last six months to a year without it being a negative in terms of your cv because contracts come to an end whereas if you've had two permanent roles in the first 12 months of military service some employers might be a little bit negative towards it I mean personally I, I would never worry about it. I'd never judge someone for for leaving their first couple of roles in CV Street just because it's going to be very very different to what they used to how do you find um employers react to ex-military because there's quite a lot of stigma attached to ex-military like they come with baggage they come with PTSD you know they're a box of frogs they're either kind of mad sad um or something else I can't remember what the third one is (laughs) mad sad or bad that's it it all rhymes um do you ever come across that attitude or do you think it it's changed or do you think that's it's fair to say that some do have that um attitude towards ex-mil yeah um... I think it has changed. Now, there are going to be people that think that just because they watched the Carry On film in the 70s that all RSMs are really shouty. It's not the case. Like, being a shouty RSM doesn't really work <laughs> anymore. Um, so there are people that... I, I had it recent. I put out a post about it. Uh, when it comes to around either Remembrance Day or uh, Armed Forces Day, we get loads of inquiries and these inquiries can be random. And I was talking to a care home 
about military levers because they were like, oh, yeah, we, we, we saw everything on the news about military levers. It'd be great to attract them. But our jobs are paying £11 an hour. And I'm, that's less than what someone gets in their first year of being in the military. I'm not sure if you can attract the right people. And then sometimes I will come across it. Like I was out for dinner and someone said to me, well, it must be really good, like helping people with PTSD. I'm like, people in the military, they might have all sorts of stories. And obviously, if you've been in Afghan, you could have a degree of trauma. Most people that I work with that are veterans are, are the top percentage of people that I've worked with because of all the characteristics, regardless of what they've seen or heard or done in their military service, because there's all these soft skills. So I think that there are some companies that are a bit old school, but there's also lots of companies that are quite modern in terms of their thinking. Oh, like We watched their documentary on commandos. looks like they get like these people phenomenal. How do we find them? <laughs> Uh, I think there's going to be more of that, particularly with what people like Tech Vets and James are doing or all the different charities, um, what they're doing with the Veterans uh, Office. Like, there's so many things out there really pushing the narrative that, look, veterans are really good in work. Go and make sure they work well in your business, treat them well, and you'll have a team of superstars. What's the difference? Do you um, do you place non-military as well within? <laughs> Not anymore. That is the best thing about what I do now. Meredith, <laughs> I say it's without a, a shadow of doubt. Like, to give you an example, I use an app called Calendarly for people to book calls with me. I have a ninety-seven percent show up rate. One of my friends who still works for a commercial recruiter has like a forty-five percent show up rate. I would never go back to working in civilian recruitment again because I've loved my time with Xmail. I absolutely love it. Wow. What's um, are there any kind of are there any people that stick in your head who you've helped that you kind of I don't know that their story just stayed with you or you feel like you know you made a difference for them. I think, uh, and that's where I probably am a bit lucky, I think that our team, where we speak to 100 veterans every week, there's probably a couple of those stories every week where maybe someone's been in a tight spot and we've had, like, again, it's a bit weird, but sometimes we get um, like residential caretaker roles that have accommodation, which is where I then go and I'll speak to people like walking with the wound and say, look, I've got a role that has accommodation included, do we know anyone who's really struggling that could really benefit from that? So we do have those types of situations where maybe someone has been homeless and we've been able to support them into a role that provides accommodation. I've seen a ton of people change careers. So while I might talk about things like the Royal Signals going into cyber, I know people that came to me as sappers and said, Ben, how do I get into to cyber? And then I had the conversation with them. Often tech vets are one of the first people that I signpost people to like look go and check out all of these free courses here look at this this and this and then a year later they're working for a consultancy in, in cyber so I, I love it I, and I think that is one of my favorite parts about the job that there are a ton of people that we've been able to maybe open their eyes to roles that they they didn't really realize existed or companies that maybe wasn't the best opportunity on paper but we knew that the company were a good company and suddenly the, the person's got two promotions in their first year. 
that's um that's really interesting because there are so many recruiters out there and it's such a minefield for service leaders because they're directed you know there isn't a kind of well there's meant to be a single point where people get directed during resettlement but there, there isn't really and I think for a lot of people just you can start googling military recruitment and you, you're just kind of overwhelmed what would be your kind of best tip for people who who want to genuinely find a role that's going to be lasting that's going to suit them where where do they start apart from coming obviously to you yeah and I, I think ironically I, I, starting with us isn't going to be the, the first thing look if, if you ask me where does the most success come in finding a great job it's all free networking get onto LinkedIn, build a profile, network with all your old oppos, people that you served under, people that served under you, build as many relationships as possible, go to as many face-to-face ex-military careers events as you can, whether that's the CTP, BFRS, uh, Forces Transition Group. The more people you're out there and speaking to, the more you're going to find what opportunities are real for you and look the reality is recruiters are going to be there to try and sometimes sell you a bit of a pipe dream like i would love to say that we don't do it as expo and i'll also say quite openly that the, the veteran recruitment space is filled with a ton of people ton of recruiters that are really good at their job whether that's trident search whether that's hire a veteran like hire cracker a lot look at veterans because they'll often be a bit more honest with you than your standard CVs and just network with as many people as possible because you can then ask them the hard questions of what's it like to work there? What's the positive side? What's the negative side? There's a a certain big company, I won't mention them by name, a name for recruiting veterans. And when people ask me about it, I'm I'm really honest. I'm like, look, 50% of people are moaning about the hours and the other 50% of people are absolutely loving it there. So don't take everything as gospel and figure out but speak to enough people and then figure out what feeling gives you the best feeling and, and go for that. That's that's really good advice. And when you mentioned before about directing people to tech vets training, in the skills gap that you see from HR coming to you and asking for, are there any kind of tech or cyber skills that you would say to someone, hey, look, tech vets offer this training go and get this done because this is where the market's going or this is the skill set that's in demand? I think it really varies down to what the individual wants. Now, one thing I, I had a call with a training company recently about similar to this. For me, a lot of there's a lot of big high-paying CCNA roles that are suitable for someone with a tech background, even the military has got DB. Tends to be people and uh, networking, so Cisco okay. networking. Okay. So it is something that I know. Techbacks don't necessarily offer the courses, but there's a ton of networking type things out there. Cybersecurity is very, it's very in trend at the moment. It's very much look. There's loads of opportunities in cyber, but there's obviously a ton of them. Networking is something that is an industry that will only grow. Obviously, more and more people are using the internet use more stuff on on the internet. Therefore, networks have to change their capacities all the time. Uh, And as a result of that, there's always going to be opportunities in network engineering because it's specialist enough that not everyone goes into it, but it's not the same as being a software engineer. So it's often following a a process. 
And would you say it is the kind of Cisco networking um, career path that is the main one that people are looking for? I think that Cisco is heavily used within government and defence, which mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why CCNA as a, as a course is one of the things that I come across very frequently. I do think it's good to understand uh, other non-Cisco systems as well. And again, this is what, what's great about tech vets. And it's why I'm like, when tech vets really started to gain popularity a couple of years ago, like we were known for sending as many people <laughs> your way as possible, but it's because of the portfolio of things. You can go down and think, okay, I'm gonna have a look at a networking course. Oh, I've been doing it for a couple of hours. It's not really for me. Why, why, why don't I try service desk? Okay, that's something that maybe is more for me. I like following that process. Or what about government uh, governance and compliance? And I think this is the thing by going to people like yourselves, you can really figure out what is for you and what's not for you. That's a really um, a really good tip, and that's something that I guess we do say to a lot of people: just dip your toe in to the foundations and and see where you want to go from there. Because there's so many courses on offer now through tech vets that it can be quite overwhelming but I guess from what you're saying that if the industry is is growing towards network engineering then Cisco isn't a bad place to dip your toe in and yeah. start from. It's definitely one of them but even your basic service test courses there's only going to be more companies selling IT solutions so understanding how to get involved in service tests is a good entry point for people. If you're already from a technical background, look at things like service management or service architecture, because there's going to be a ton of roles out there that, again, can can sometimes be extremely high paying. And they often, and I think this is the thing, like, while as a business, we'll ask people what their like background is, what their rank is, what regiments they served in. It's because we understand, okay, at this level, you're going to be doing different things to this level or this, this level. But look at where your experience is transferable. So obviously, not everyone can take that jump to be in a non-techie, to be in a highly paid network engineer. But you can reverse engineer whatever you want. So say, for example, it's what I did. I knew that I wanted to run a recruitment business. So to run a recruitment business, I need to obviously understand recruitment. But I also need to understand the legal side of recruit, recruitment and how to be compliant in different areas you trade in. So I made sure that one of the businesses I worked in, I was involved in the operations team. So I did less day-to-day -day recruitment, but I got to understand the legal side, the finance side. So what I did was say, okay, this is where I want to be. These are all the things that I need to cover to get here. Let's build myself a little ladder. So what I would do if I was in the militaries now, I would think, okay, this is roughly when I'm going to leave. So these are the things I'm going to do before leaving so that when I leave, I can then build myself a little ladder to take me to the career route that I want in the quickest possible way. That is a really um, good tip <laughs> to build your ladder. Um, for those who, I mean, as part of building that ladder when people leave, how important is a CV these days? A CV will get you into an interview. So you need to have one to get in front of the right people. But also, sometimes CVs can be subverted through networking. So I think having a good CV is always handy. Like, 
even being in the management uh, managing director position in Exmo, I make sure my CV is kept up to date because anything can happen. But <laughs> that's very gloom. Uh, well, I think this is the thing though. Like I've been in situations where I thought a job would last a long time, and maybe there was redundancies. Maybe I ended up working under a boss that I went from working under a boss that I loved to a boss that I didn't like. So I think it's. It's quite funny, like demon gleam. I'm one of those like plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, like all the way into like Roman numerals. You've always got to have some sort of backup. And and as a result, I think of, of having that, like my CV is one of the things that I've always got ready just in case. So I think it is good to have and it's good to do it properly. And the, the problem though with understanding how to do a CV properly is everyone's got a different idea about what good is. So that's the other thing to bear in mind with CVs. Everyone's going to tell you it should look like this. It should be, Ben, I'm really struggling to fit my CV onto two pages. Like, you're, you're a warrant officer. You've done, like, a ton of jobs over the last 22 years. Why are you trying to fit into two pages? So I think, yeah, don't do a good CV, but don't get over bogged down and don't overthink it. And the most important thing about a CV, and this is, again, me being a cheeky recruiter and understanding how to, how to cheat the system, I've got a job spec that I want to apply for. When building my CV, I basically transfer as much of that job spec into my CV. So whoever's reading my CV thinks, wow, that really matches my job spec. That is something that people do get wrapped around the axle with because you always hear that, you know, your CV should be one page. It should be two pages. It should be four, you know, not necessarily four pages at all, or you should have a link to your portfolio, or you should have X, Y, and Z. And it's it's a real minefield for people because then sometimes you don't even have to upload a CV. You have to do an online form and then the CV doesn't fit in it. And it, it's just like, you know, it, it's almost, you know, traumatic at the point of just applying for the job, let alone getting to the interview stage. Do you guys provide um, any training when it comes to those initial rounds or knowing what you need to do just to get your foot in the door? Yeah, so I actually run an online course every month around job searching. So within that, I talk about where I'd look for work. So all the different job fairs, Armed Forces Covenant, then talk about CVs and talk about networking. And how do people um, sign up for that? So I, I promote it on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, it's, in fact, I did a post about it today. So it's, you see it on uh, Xmill's LinkedIn page, on events, every month, bar in August, we do a job search webinar and then an interview uh, webinar. Now, with us, like, while my two consultants are, like, the opposite in how they work, one of them just loves helping people. So if you're really, really struggling, speak to me. I'll put you in a call with Warren and Woz will sort your CV out. Does the other one not like helping people then? <laughs> he, he likes helping people, but he's also got a long old list of jobs that I need him to find candidates for. <laughs> That's brilliant. Okay, so you don't want Warren when you phone up. Help. No, no, you want Warren. What was yeah. is the one? Yeah, what was is the one that will help you with your CV? It will sit in his own time and give you a list of companies in your local area that you should apply for because he would do all the searching with you. Okay. And, and, and who should you avoid? No, well, it's not who you should avoid. I've got Dan, my ex Royal Marine, who literally <laughs> is. There's his list of jobs. So he, Dan's very good at placing people. So what yeah. Dan will do is if you call him, he won't necessarily spend ages on your CV. What he will do is say, here's a webinar that we run. Here's a couple of templates that we use. 
but he will keep an eye out for if you say to him, okay, this is where I live, Dan will always have it registered in the back of his head so that when an opportunity comes up six months, weeks down the line, he'll be like, ah, oh, here's a job for you. Brilliant. That sounds like um, a pretty good tag team. A hundred percent. I think that's why I feel really lucky that I do have a bit of a, a dream team where all of my team work together. So we've got a list of all of our jobs that uh, Exmo are working on at any one time. So like, if I'm looking for a network engineer, everyone knows about it. But also we have slightly different things that we're good at. So I'm good at doing all the stuff on social media and building that sort of influencer um, candidate attraction. Was is great at helping people. Dan's great at placing people. They work slightly different industries. Though. So again, as a team, we just focus on trying to place as many people as we can, but also to help as many as we can. That sounds like a place that our uh, our veterans <laughs> should be calling into after they've completed their certifications and training. Yeah. Uh, and this is the thing, even like if people are going through stuff or it's one thing someone said to me, Ben, when's the best time to speak to XML? You can speak to us whenever the hell you want. If you've got five years left of service, you can speak to us to get an idea of what the market could be like in five years time. If you left in the, uh, um 90s or early 2000s you can speak to us we'll still help you like our team are focused on helping veterans so to, to be involved in my team you can't necessarily be like i was as a 21 year old as a 21 year old i got into recruitment to earn commission exmo is not that place for people what we do is you're a team that has to be passionate about supporting the community and going above and beyond for people like when you say to me, um, Ben, do you want to jump on a call at eight o'clock to do a podcast for Tech Vets? I'm loving this. <laughs> Even though I've, I've, I'm now into, I think, my 12th hour of work. <laughs> and no doubt I'll go and do some stuff after this as well. Well, it's brilliant to hear. And um, for the, for people who are listening, how how do they get in touch with you? What's I mean, they can obviously contact you all hours. And I'm sure if anyone's listening, they want to call you at 2 a.m., you should do just to prove what you've just said. But um, what are the best means of getting in touch? Yeah, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, you can email anyone at the XML team. So my email address is ben at ex-mil.co.uk. Replace Ben with Warren, Dan, JC or Liz. Um, you can find us on the XML website. If you someone applies to one of our job, it goes to whatever consultants dealing with it and our consultants are basically told that if someone applies that they have to respond. It, and even if it's to say, look, unfortunately, your CV is not right for this job. We do, you can also approach me on LinkedIn. And I'm very good at like systemizing things. So we've got Calendly links. I can send you a link and you can book a call directly into whatever team member is best to support you. That sounds brilliant. And I'm sure that um, any listeners will be reaching out to you to of tap you up. One thing I'll say quite openly, again, just as a team of recruiters, what can happen in recruitment is that suddenly we get inundated with a ton of messages at once. So while my team, well, they're way better than I am, occasionally I will miss a message. So what I would always say is if you don't get an actual response, just send a follow-up message within a week or so. And if it happens a couple of times, reach out to someone else in the team and whoever's missed it usually gets a bit of a beast in. Is that by Dan? Exactly. Well, he's a Royal Marine, so he's got to be the one who's leading any beastings within the team. 
<laughs> I shouldn't say that actually because was started in the para regiment. So there is obviously the the para marine rivalry that that goes um, on between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. So no, no one's getting beaten for anything. We're just, <laughs> we're um, no, that's that's brilliant, and thank you so much, Ben, for for talking to us tonight. And I think it's really good because we often talk to people who are very focused on specific fields of tech. And actually it's really important for us to go back to the roots of that journey from signing off, understanding understanding the ladder and the steps that you need to take to get where you wanna be and understanding where you wanna be. So yeah. your advice has been really useful. And for anyone listening, the links to XML recruitment and some of the webinars that Ben has mentioned will be in the description of the podcast. So. Um, just click on those and you'll be able to reach out to Ben and his team for more information. But thank you, Ben, for joining us this evening. I've loved it. Thank you so much for having me on.